Welcome to episode six of APIs You Won't Hate. Uh, We're joined by a very special guest today. Um, he's known online as the API Handyman, and his name is Arno. How's it going? I'm fine, and very happy to be here with you. Excellent. So uh, where, where are you in the world right now? Uh, I'm in Paris, uh, and I'm stuck in my apartment, uh, thanks to the COVID-19, but uh, it's okay. Uh, we have balcony and uh, we have food and uh, we have internet, so we can be here for a few weeks without problems. Good, good. I mean, I think I think everyone by the time they hear this episode is going to be in a similar situation. But it sounds like you're in pretty upbeat spirits about it. So you know, something nothing too bad about it so far. But it's only a week in, so maybe in three weeks we'll check back in and see how you're doing. Um, and then, of course, I'm joined by. My good friend Phil, and today Phil is in which country? I'm in England. I'm pretty much back home, back in the back in the West Country. We call it the place where where everyone sounds like a pirate and there's good cider. Good, good. <laughs> um, did you bike all the way back up there? Yeah, pretty much. Um, so I had to make a bit of a mad dash uh, after Morocco. Uh, the ferry let me off in Barcelona. I had to cycle through the Pyrenees, um, dodge a few crazy people. Um, and uh, cycle through France over the last couple of weeks, the two and a half weeks, while while kind of coronavirus was hadn't quite hit the west of France yet. There were such crazy storms um, that basically people couldn't leave their house if they wanted to. So like all the roads were underwater, and there was just crazy wind. So that was great for not getting coronavirus, but terrible for cycling through the entire height of France because it was like fifty six mile an hour headwinds uh, sometimes. So. Um, luckily, my my friend uh, uh, Hannes uh, came with me, and I just he wasn't carrying as much stuff as me, so I put him on the front, and I just he just gave me a pull the whole way through France, um, and then <laughs> and then he went home, and I I got on a ferry to Portsmouth, and uh, now I'm here. So I managed to dodge the corona the the whole way home. I'm holed up in a farmhouse with four dogs that just want all my love and attention, um, and and my girlfriend Heidi's here, and we're pretty close to the parents, so it's, it's a pretty sweet setup. Um, we're, we're, we're very safe. Nice. Nice. I saw the pictures of the dogs and I was like, sounds like a dream to be honest. Yeah. Like when we go to the door, they, yeah. the, the dogs can hear the sound of uh, us, like the handle turning or like the keys before we even put the key in the door. So there's three dogs waiting outside before I even get outside. <laughs> so every time we try and leave, we have to like plan five minutes ahead of time to like give them a big old cuddle and before we go walking around the fields. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So we've been trying to plan this episode now for couple months, I think. We we're, we're going to do it like back in November, and then it just kind of all fell apart. Um, but now we're happy to have Arno on here now. Um, we don't really have a, a topic, but I'll kind of, like, you two are like definitely some of like, the biggest API experts in the space. Um, so I'll kind of just throw out like a, a kind of a question going forward, which is, what is probably the next most interesting thing in the API landscape that you see coming in maybe the next year or two years? Oh, good question. Uh, frankly, uh, something being coming in the next two years, well, more APIs. Uh, I don't know if it's something that will actually come, but I would like to see more tools around uh, design, API design. Uh, really, this is a field that lacks uh, of tools. Uh, we need more tools to be able to share design with uh, with someone. Uh, so 
we can review it and we can have feedback and we can modify everything, track uh, all the people, all, all what people say around it. And uh, I'm struggling every day to, to do that because it's my daily job to review API design. And I did not find any tool that uh, fulfills this need. So yeah, tools to help people review API design. It's my letter to uh, Santa Claus. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, yeah, uh, for a moment I was worried you might have left your crystal ball at the office um, before lockdown. But uh, yeah, that, that does sound like uh, like a good insight into the future. Um, uh, I think, yeah, Stoplight are working on some of that stuff. Uh, and right now it, it's, it's really not, not there. Um, but I think it would be cool to talk about some of the ideas I've got for API design review. But I think first, could... Could we pick your brain a little bit, like for listeners that might not be super familiar with the concept of API design um, or API design reviews, like could you explain those two concepts a little bit? So uh, just to be sure I understood uh, about API design reviews, the process of reviewing API, okay. Yeah, like um, what is it, who does it, and why? <laughs> yeah, so um, let, let me tell you my, my data. So I work in a very big company. Uh, it's a big group composed of different companies with many teams. And uh, everyone says, okay, we need to, everyone must do APIs. Great. That's, that's good. Yes, but we must do it the same way. We must be sure that anyone who is building an API will do it approximately the same way as its neighbor. Why? Because we need to, uh, when you build an API surface composed of many APIs, you need that those APIs share a similar look and feel. They must uh, look the same way in order to help people use them easily. Because once you have learned to use an API coming from a company, you can use the next one easily because it works the same way. It uses the same security mechanism. It uses the same design patterns, and so on. So uh, that's the first need of API design review to ensure that everyone design API the same way. Uh, hopefully, most of these uh, form controls can be automated, and I'm working on that thanks to uh, uh, Stoplight Spectral, uh, which really helped me to uh, uh, detect uh, non-conformance to our guidelines and so on. And then I can go to the second step of API design review, which is to ensure that the API which is designed uh, really fulfills uh, the needs that, has been, uh, that have been identified and it's uh, actually developer user friendly. And that's really the, the heart, the core of API design reviews to ensure that, because uh, there is no rule of thumb, there is no silver bullet that will uh, make you sure about what you do. So when you design an API, you really need a third party, an objective one, uh, to review it and tell you, okay, I, I really do not understand what your API is supposed to do, because I do not understand the word vocabulary used, because uh, there are too many operations or 
uh, not enough, and I don't know how to use them uh, to make uh, something of it. And uh, it's uh, it's something that, uh, especially for beginners, um, it's something that is really hard to achieve. Hopefully, we've uh, after a few reviews, people start to understand what it means to design APIs that are actually user friendly. Uh, but even with experience, these people always need a third-party reviewer to challenge them, to be sure that uh, the API is actually the most simple possible. So that's it. API design review is two things, is to ensure that all your APIs look the same way, and to be sure that your APIs actually do something useful and are easy to use. That's awesome, yeah, because I think everyone thinks that their APIs are awesome and easy to use, and in my experience, that is pretty much never true. <laughs> <laughs> Very rarely true. I mean, yeah, a fresh pair of eyes can help out with a lot of things, right? Like, um, a lot of people, uh, you have some different... Uh, WeWork was a wonderful example of this. There are whole bunches of teams making different APIs that have never don't even know who the other team is. Like, they've never met that person. They're in a different country, let alone a different floor. Um, and, and they'll use the same words in different ways. Um, like account might mean like some sort of, um, you know, company account, which is like a, a payment thing, mm. or it could mean like user account or a bunch of other different yeah. confusing terms. So there's a, there's a lot of overlap of things there. Um, yeah, that's, that's a really good overview of, of kind of what API design reviews are about. And it's a good example of like why API designs are useful. Because if you design the thing before you write a bunch of code, someone can look at it and go, that doesn't seem great before you write a bunch of code. Um, but you mentioned one thing about consistency. And I've, I've had problems explaining why API consistency is important. A lot of people, I think, understand immediately the benefit. And, and a lot of people, it doesn't quite click. And I, I think a lot of people think that API consistency is just about being nice and about things looking kind of polished. Um, but but are there more fundamental? Um, is there more fundamental value to having consistent APIs? Why is yeah. it important? Yeah, uh, and I have uh, a typical example that happened to me this afternoon. I lost an hour trying to figure out how to delete something within an API, and I'm really ashamed because uh, it's the project I'm working on. And uh, <laughs> we are we are building uh, some kind of internal API portal, so it's just a, a directory of APIs for within the company, and we have a very simple website with very simple database. We put the API in the database, show them on the website, and that's it. And I try to delete one of the APIs because I wanted to test something. I'm working on. Uh, converting whistles to open API contracts, which is very fun. And uh, I wanted to delete a test API. And I guessed how to do it. And my guess was totally wrong. And oh, then no. I tried to, uh, I look at the documentation, uh, which is a simple open API file, and open it and look at it. And I it took me a very long time to understand what was the problem. The problem was that when you want to retrieve an API, you simply do, uh, to, to, to list the APIs, you simply do a get slash APIs, with an S. And 
APIs may have multiple versions. So when you want to uh, see more detailed information about the specific version of an API, you do get slash APIs, slash API ID, slash version, slash version ID. Perfect. It looks nice. And if you want to delete an API, you'll just say, okay, I do delete on the same path. No, you have to remove the S on API and version. And the version ID is not the one you think it is. It, it's not an ID, it's just the version number. Oh. So it took, it, it's, uh, when you look closely at the documentation, you see that. But my brains, my brain auto corrects the design and yeah, yeah. S and everything. And so I, I did not understand what was my problem. And all this because inside this API, inside a single API, I have two operations that are inconsistent with each other. And so I lost an hour. That's why consistency is really important because if you don't do that, people uh, may gain some knowledge using an API or an operation and it's uh, normal to reuse that knowledge for another operation when you try to guess things, when you try to uh, use new things, uh, you, you base what you do on your previous experience. And if things are totally different, your experience uh, is useless. And so you lose yeah, time. That is so very that, nice. That's really important. Yeah. I, I, that's, that's a pretty good one. I haven't even thought about stuff like that, like URLs randomly changing to have different patterns. Uh, yeah. for different methods. Um, I think one of the one of the examples for consistency that I try and use is, um, I think I might have mentioned it on this podcast before, but we have a few clients at Stoplight that do, um, they're in the air, airline industry and um, they have, you know, a thousand APIs or something ridiculous. Um, <laughs> you know, huge companies, international, all this stuff. And um, they had something like, I think it was like, I think it was several hundred different versions of a flight model like, you know, different APIs, different endpoints, they would return a flight information. And it's literally that plane's going from there to over there at this time with whatever, this is the number. Um, but there's a thousand different, um, you know, API, uh, there's a thousand different, not, not versions, but different representations of that yeah. data. And so that means every single time somebody wants to interact with an API that deals with a flight, the, the, it's a different code. So even if you are, um, if you're a, you know, uh, iPhone app, that's trying to interact with a bunch of their different APIs, your iPhone app's gonna have a thousand different bits of code that, that munches them all into a flight model or you have to build a, um, you know, a, adapters and, and things to like polymorphize it into one consistent model. So that's one of the other things um, where consistency is important, where if, if things are subtly different all over the place, you're just making your clients do a whole bunch of extra work or forcing people to build BFFs just to tidy up your mess um, so they can have a consistent experience outside of, of your API. So, yeah, that stuff's pretty important. Um, so yeah. apart from looking after consistency... Um, uh, just, what, just was one yeah. last word about consistency. Uh, consistency is important, but you have to be care really careful about that, especially mm. when it comes to uh, big companies who may sometimes be tempted to, okay, we need to be consistent, so we will define a really uh, um, a central data model that everyone must use, and that is a really terrible idea. So please, people, listen to that. Be really careful 
consistency is important, but don't go too far. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, I think yeah, that's something I should have mentioned. Yeah, I kind of stopped halfway through a, a bit of a reckless point. So something that Stoplight did to, to help with that whole situation is um, uh, the enterprise version, which people aren't very familiar with. It's going to get launched as um, kind of a SaaS that anyone can sign up for for 20 bucks instead of giving us half a million and installing it on-premise. Um, there's a whole bunch more to the Stoplight stuff than what people have seen with um, Studio, the free downloadable editor, and Spectral and Prism. Um, we have something called Explorer, which has uh, it, it hooks up to all your repositories and analyzes all of them, and, and it can look for different models. And you can create something called uh, design libraries, where you can create these like shared, um, like a whole catalog of, of models that can then be used by different APIs. Um, and so, if they wanted to, every single uh, one of those APIs could use the mega flight model with like the ten thousand properties that are in there, right? Because it's obviously got to be a superset. All of those models that are different. Um, some of them will just call it flight number or flight ID or flight num, and it's the same thing with the different names. So that I don't, you know, making that consistent is easy. You just give that thing one name. Um, but then there's some people will be interested in in certain parts of it, um, certain parts of the the data. So uh, we created a feature called um, uh, model masking, um, and and you kind of create a new model which selects a bunch of properties from that. And you say, these are the bits I'm interested in. And so what's quite interesting is if you tr start trying to create a mask and you say like, oh, I want field A, B, and D, um, but there's already a mask for A, B, and D, you're not creating another mask, you're using that existing mm -hmm. mask. So not only are we en enabling the, the shared use of like base models, um, we're enabling like the shared use of, of masks. So there's a limited number of, of those masks too. Um, so yeah. Consistency is incredibly important, but obviously people have different needs, so they want different parts of that information. So if you can kind of help with reuse by saying, that looks like you're using a whatever model, we already have a whatever model. Like we don't need 25 yeah. different user records or 25 different whatever. Um, yeah, then that helps a lot. But you'll never have every single service using the exact same JSON representation unless you have giant, awful, irrelevant JSON representations. <laughs> Um, yeah, consistency is wild. The, what else is there that, that you're looking out for in a design review? You mentioned kind of nomenclature, I guess, like naming stuff good. What, what, sort of, what sort of things are you looking out for at that point? Um, so when it comes to choosing names, you know that there are two difficult fields in uh, computer science, cache, and choosing names. Uh, I don't remember who, who told that, but, uh, so it's really where we have the most discussion choosing names. So first I really check when I see a new name that, uh, I understand what it means, uh, simply by just reading it or based on the context, because when you see a, a property name inside a data model used in an operation inside an API, you can guess what it actually means, even if you don't know anything about the field of the API. So that I work with uh, different teams, uh, with uh, different business uh, that I don't know anything about it when I start to work with these teams. So uh, even with that, I can guess, okay, I understand what it means, or I look at the description when there are some. And um, so yes, be sure that I understand the name, and so I can start a discussion with the designer to make them talk and be sure that 
is this actually what you really want to represent? And uh, ma making API design review is actually making people talk a lot and listen to them to pick the words they choose. And sometimes in the discussion, you can uh, detect that people use different words for the same topic or use words that you don't see in the API design. And that's uh, something that should be uh, investigated because it means that there is a problem in the design. If the people use another vocabulary that is not shown in the design, and uh, also I try to guide them to uh, find sometimes other words that are less uh, technical. I mean, technical in the sense of highly specific to their domain, and to choose vocabulary that will be uh, more uh, easier to understand to. Uh, for a wide range of people, even people who are not experts in the field. And of course, I check that people use name consistently. So I have to be, uh, I have to uh, uh, be like an elephant with a huge memory to remind, okay, I remember three months ago we talked about this and I check my records and in this API, you have exactly the same thing, but with a different name. <laughs> That's and tough. Yeah. it's really, really hard to do that. Mm. So when, uh, to summarize, choosing names, it's about be being sure that people, a wide range of people will be able to understand them and to be sure that they actually represent what they are supposed to represent. Because sometimes uh, people choose names and they don't match what is actually uh, what is uh, the real data inside that. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, that brings up a lot of um, interesting points there. Um, kind of following the consistency, though, like, is this upfront? Is this where you're also kind of looking to enforce standards like the JSON API, error formatting, um, caching, HADIOS, things like that? Or does that come, does that get pushed down more towards like, the lead developer role? Uh, when it comes to JSON or XML or AWS or whatever, I this is not what really interests me because uh, it's more a uh, matter of plumbering. Uh, I'm more interested in the functional part of design. Even if I have always an eye of uh, do you actually need only JSON? You, should you use XML or should you use uh, ISO 20022 XML financial messages instead of regular JSON ones? Um, but uh, that's really uh, a small topic in my review. We talk about that, but it usually do not take a long time. The most time is uh, used to talk about naming, uh, uh, resource granularity, operation, API granularity, uh, what they're supposed to do, and so on. So, yeah. Okay. Uh, I think there's, when, when you talk about consistency, that, you know, there's naming things and, and things should work in a similar way. One of the problems I've come across quite a lot is that most API developers have their favorite format. 
and their favorite format might be some conventions that like a message format right so so json api would be an example of a popular one or there's hal or siren or you know uh, odata there's a million of these different things um or a lot of people prefer to do things their own way right so they like have their own custom snowflake message format where they wrap everything in data and it's an array or an object depending on if there's one or whatever um every single api is pretty different like that and so when consistency is the aim um do you care about that stuff for all apis no apis and then people do what they want or are there like different levels of caring um because at some companies i've heard people say like internally do whatever you want if it's only your team using this go nuts use grpc don't care um if you're you know if it's going to different um departments or internal customers in different areas maybe we we have this set of standards and if it's on the public api to like the outside world we probably have like even more super cautious standards do you do you deal with kind of differences like that and what do you yeah, do when people so, don't want to use that standard <laughs> oh yeah so uh, our standard is to use good old uh, so-called REST APIs uh, with JSON format. This is, okay, you want to do an API, you do it that way. If it does not work for you, we are open for discussion. If uh, you need to use gRPC or whatever, okay, but just explain me why. Just show me that you actually need to do things differently because of your business, because of your technical constraints, and so on. It's not a problem to make things differently as long as there is an explanation. Um, regularly, I, I do some uh, presentation when I meet developers and explain what we do in the team and how we should do API and so on. And Regularly, someone say, hey, um, we, we want to do a GraphQL API. I say, yes, okay, uh, why? And usually I just ask why three times, and then we realize that, okay, you don't need a GraphQL API, you just need to design your API. So I, I'm not against GraphQL. Uh, no, but, I've been here before. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. But uh, it's just a tool like another, and you have to choose it when you actually need it. And yeah. in order to make things simple for everyone inside a big company, the more you do uh, the things uh, the same as your neighbor, the better. But if sometimes you actually and really need to make things differently, it's not a problem. We are happy to do that because we are happy to see new things. And maybe we can include what you do in our guidelines to say, okay, if you have to do that, you mm. do not use the regular REST JSON HTTP stuff. Maybe you use gRPC, maybe you use GraphQL, maybe you use Kafka or whatever. Because uh, besides regular synchronous API, we start yeah. to work with asynchronous APIs. Uh, asynchronous messaging, and we want to manage them like we do with APIs. So it's not a problem to do things differently. It just need to be a reason. And if you do things differently, we have to include this in our standard so people can mm. um, uh, take advantage of the first uh, team experience. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, uh, the Wild West approach definitely has often concerned me at certain companies where. Yeah, you've got some GraphQL, some GRPC, some twerp, some some JSON RPC for some reason. 
people just kind of go a little bit nuts and, and do whatever they want. And um, yeah, it, it's kind of tricky because some teams just get really set on the fact that they definitely have to use GraphQL and then every single reason that they, they bring up for why is like, you know, rest is slow because we have a thousand fields in JSON and that's bad. I'm like, okay, well don't put a thousand fields in your JSON and then you don't need, like, what are you talking about? Um, so I find, I find a lot of the time my position at WeWork was, was kind of API governance before that was necessarily a, a term that people were using. Um, but also kind of like basic API education and yeah. a combination of the two was, was quite helpful because I don't necessarily want every single person who ever want, I definitely don't want every person who ever wants to make an API to go and like ask for permission um, from the API governance team, right? That's obviously a bottleneck. Um, you definitely don't want um, people to be in a situation where they feel like they can't design APIs without the, you know, without, without the guidance of the great uh, governance gods and all that stuff's terrible. But when, when people just do whatever they want and then come to you much later, um, then you're like, well, that's that's inconsistent and completely unnecessary, and you just wasted a bunch of everyone's time, and we're going to have to change this. So, that that's a recipe for any of that can be met with a lot of negativity, right? Because if you're telling people early on, sorry, you don't get to play with GraphQL, they'll be sad because they want to. And then if you or whatever it is, um, and if you wait until someone's built a thing and then tell them it's bad, that's not helpful. Um, how do you how do you deal with that? Just by getting involved early on? Yeah. So our strategy is uh, meeting people as uh, early as possible. And uh, so we, we, uh, we do a tour inside a company to meet everyone when we can. Uh, when we meet a new, new team, new business line, we gather people to say, hey, we are here, we exist, and we are here to help you. We are not the police. And the sooner you come to us, the better. And uh, we are your friends. We will not block you. Uh, so that's the message. We are really, uh, we are not uh, strong governance. Uh, and uh, come to see us early so we can discuss about what you want to do and how you imagine to do it. We can give you a hand and we can say, okay, that's a good idea to do it that way. Or maybe you can do something else. And, and after that, you design and so on. So uh, if by, uh, not by chance, but uh, if people do crazy things and come to us, say, hey, uh, we have done this. And uh, it seems that we, we have to talk to you before going to production. Say, okay, uh, it may be a little bit too late, but uh, show me what you, what you have done. And then I say, okay. Uh, it's, uh, if it's a terrible mess, I say, okay, I will not block you. It's not my job, but know that if you go in, uh, if you put that into production now in this state, these are, uh, the consequences for you and your consumer. If you are okay to live with that, it's okay. It's up to you. It's not my problem. It's yours. So, uh, I can give guidance to say, okay, you are only, you are bidding a private API for a single consumer and your, your team is responsible of uh, the two, uh, the two ends of the wire, the consumer and the provider. So you can go in production that way and you will be able to change and uh, to break everything when you want. So it's not a problem. But if you plan to provide this to 
two, three, four, five different teams, uh, if you put that in production, you will not be able to change it. So you will have to live with that. Uh, so I explain the consequences. And usually the first time, say, okay, uh, we have to live with that. But now that, that we know your team exists, uh, the next time we come to see you and uh, we'll do better next time. So if people are like that, it, it really makes my day. And uh, I, I really want to help people to grow and that one day they won't need me and they won't need uh, the whole uh, team I'm working with. Mm. What, um, how, how big does a company need to get before you think they need API design review people? Um, can any company do it? Is it a role? Is it a dedicated role? Um, or is it like a group of people? Or is it something that anyone can do? Oh, I think it, de- it really depends on company organization. But I think that uh, it is not really a matter of size. Uh, uh, it, okay, you want to do APIs, you have to do API review, even if you are only two working on it. Uh, so you really need a third party to review your design, even if you work alone. So uh, you are, even if you are a startup with three developers, even if you are a very big corporation with thousands of developers, you have to do that. Uh, you have to uh, show your design to someone else and be ready to be challenged in order to be sure that what you will build uh, is okay. So of course, depending on the size of the company, how you do that, will be uh, totally different um, because uh, there are different ways to do that. People uh, build uh, API design guilds with uh, many designers working together and some people try to build some very strong governance with review committee, very strict. And other people like me prefer to be more uh, loose. there is no, again, there is no silver bullet. You really have to uh, do what is the best for your context. But uh, the minimal thing is that at least inside a team, maybe uh, someone like a tech, tech lead or should uh, do this review. This is the minimal. So with the review process or like the review committee, however your company has set it up, um, does the review take place in like GitHub or is it like, do you, do you like have a meeting room and you project like a, a massive YAML document and you just go through line by line? Like how, how is the best way to like do a, an API review before it gets to the actual coding? Okay. Um, so I, I'm, my uh, last year talk was about it. Uh, so basically how it works, I usually do that online because uh, the people I'm working with are, uh, everywhere in France or in Paris, and it's complicated to uh, be together. Sometimes we do that in the meeting room. But um, first, if in, in ideal conditions, first people we have a first meeting where people explain uh, what they want to do, how the API should look like, and we say, okay, uh, we give some guidance uh, about how things should be done. So we don't go really deep into design that. Then they design the API. They send me uh, a 
an open API file, well, to be honest, they send me what they call a Swagger file because most of the people I'm working with don't know what is the Open API initiative and the Open API specification, but I'm trying to change that. So they send me uh, the contract. And then on my own, alone, I do a full review. I check with uh, now with uh, Spectral uh, that the uh, contract uh, conforms to our guidelines. And, the, and uh, the re this uh, automatic control also uh, tells me, hey, you should look at this, you should look at that. Uh, and then I do a human review. I, I read, I try to understand the words, how operations should be used to uh, do something, and I write down everything. So I tr and as I said earlier, I did not find any tool to do that. So for now, I'm using a good old wiki. So I store the uh, contract uh, in a Git repository. So just to keep uh, versioning and keep a track of them. And the review is a simple wiki page. And I say, okay, this is review of version one dot uh, whatever on uh, March the 20th, 2020. And general remarks, uh, I try to summarize what are the main problems. And then after that, I go deep into each operation, each data model and say, okay, there is a problem here and there and here and there or in and there. So sometimes it can, take a few minutes to write, sometimes it takes hours. Because uh, if you have, um, sometimes I, I had to do reviews on very big APIs, who have, which have maybe 60 to 100 operations, and uh, it's very long uh, to... Uh, sounds rough. Yeah, it's, it's rough, but uh, so when it's that big, I just do a general review to explain, okay, these are the whole problems I've seen, and I only explain the family of problems so people can say, okay, this is the direction we should take to make, to fix all these things. For a smaller review, people have a detailed list of the things that we should discuss and the things that must be fixed. And then uh, we have a meeting, so I can uh, share the review, explain everything. We can have the discussion about, hey, is this uh, red or is it blue or green, whatever, uh, choosing names, understanding the concept, the resources and whatever. And uh, so people know what they have to do, they fix the design, they send me a new version and then check that everything is okay. If everything is okay, the review is over. Uh, if not, it depends on how they use the second version. Maybe we can do another meeting or just uh, I just send them the new review and say, okay, you have, there is a typo here and typo there. You have to fix that and uh, do that and it will be okay. So it's, uh, it's long for me, but I try to keep it as short as possible. So usually, uh, in two, maybe three, uh, online meeting, it is done. Nice. And, and unfortunately, uh, it is done using a simple wiki page. Ah, okay. Then I might be able to help out a little bit here, switching from APIs mode to, to stoplight mode. Because um, something I've been looking at recently is trying to is the API design review process inside Studio. Um, yeah. And it's not as polished as I'd like it to be, but I, my, my approach to pretty much any problem is like document, like 
however it works right now and then try and make it nicer. <laughs> so uh, it's like a seven step process right now. But um, the, the document I, I wrote was basically seeing as we kind of make the assumption that your um, API description documents and your code live together in the same repo, maybe you haven't written the code yet, but it will go there, um, kind of means that because everything is in the repo, you can do a lot of stuff through pull requests, right? Um, so the process we kind of have is you can create a branch in, in Studio and you can, um, you can push that branch. You can even publish documentation for different branches. So um, we then recommend that you like run off to GitHub or, or GitLab or wherever it is that your, your stuff is coded. You have to do it through their UI at the moment to make a pull request. And then you can like copy and paste that branch's published documentation in there so people can look at the generated docs if they want to, um, or people can switch to that branch in Studio and interact with it in the, uh, with the built-in mocking service and, and all of those you know, built-in docs right there. So um, they can either look at that branch in Studio or look at that branch through the docs link, but then all of the giving feedback and everything else happens just directly on the pull request. Um, and that, that, it is a little bit manual, obviously asking people to switch from Studio to run off to, to GitHub and like publish those docs themselves. Um, we're fixing some of those things by adding webhook readers that automatically publish branches and things like that. But um, uh, we need to add like a, a UI that allows you to send a pull request from inside Studio, right? That would make that a lot, a lot easier. Um, but generally speaking, the process will remain fundamentally the same of you're doing pull requests, uh, either from Studio or from from GitHub, and then people can just comment on the YAML in there and then request changes and, and, and stop it. And, and the reason we were trying to do things that way is, yeah, like running off to a wiki and copying and pasting things, like if they push some updates, then you've got to go and, I guess, like update your wiki. That, that sounds like it. I understand why you were saying you, you would like to find some tools that help because that, that doesn't sound fun. Um, does, the, does that studio approach sound cool to you or like, how would you design your dream design review yeah. process? <laughs> so I, I already uh, think about that because I plan to build it myself, but actually what I really need is uh, to be able to uh, have a, a UI with a contract and check everything, say, okay, there is operation number one, it's okay or it's not okay. Inside this mm -hmm. operation, we are using a data model, which is composed of many properties and so on, and everyone has been checked. Or there is a problem that has been uh, detected by the linter, uh, like Spectrum. Yeah. And I want to be able on, at every level, the API, the path, the operation, parameters, properties, and so on, to put comments. Because it's not only about uh, proposing modifications, could uh, be done that by modifying the contract and making a pull request. Um, it's about adding comments because sometimes there are things that you need to discuss. And sometimes there are things uh, you can propose a solution or just make uh, ask a question. Okay, uh, what is this thing? I, I do not understand. What, what is it? There, there may be not a design problem. It's just that I don't get it. It's only because <laughs> right. I am not an expert. And after that, what I do not see with the uh, pull request thing is how to deal with um, uh, dozens of modifications, uh, how people see them uh, uh, easily. Uh, because if you have to compare uh, the files, 
it's not that easy to read for many people. So being able, in my dreams, I, I would like to have a UI with the two versions of the contract, the original one, the proposed new version with all the questions. And when we do my uh, review meeting, we can go through, we can uh, filter to see where are the problems, where are the questions, and we go, we can go quickly through them, answer them, maybe check, okay, we accept this proposition, click, and it's modified. And so I, I don't know if it's possible, everything is possible with computer science, <laughs> uh, but uh, it's, it's something like that. Uh, being able to, every item inside the API to see, okay, it's okay, it's not okay, why? And uh, how to and propose the fix and so on. And the tricky thing would be also uh, in the process be able to handle uh, people making modification outside the tool and being able to make the link between the original problems and the new version. It, I don't know if it's possible, but something like yeah, that. Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think my uh, my recommendation of just using literally GitHub Flow, um, yeah. you know, it it treats obviously at that point you're looking at OpenAPI as um, just you know YAML, and so it's like a line by line kind of uh, commenting process, and a lot of things could get kind of mixed in. But I really love the idea of kind of signing off on schemas and operations, and like this endpoint is yeah. good. Ah, crap! They changed something. It's yeah. no longer and good. It makes it much more three D. <laughs> I was thinking uh, about storing all these remarks as extensions inside the back. So you mm, can have everything in one place. Mm. All right. Well, now we're just two tooling vendors nerding out about possible ideas. Um, <laughs> that was a really interesting chat. Um, and so if, if people want to read more about uh, API design, is there a good book that you can recommend by any chance? Yes, of course. Mine. Hey. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, uh, if you really want to learn about API design, I recommend to read my book, The Design of Web APIs. Uh, I, I really tried, it took me two years. I really tried to put everything that I have in my brain inside this book to uh, make people aware of API design challenge. It's really not a, te a technical book. You will not learn how to build an API with Spring Boot or, or uh, C Sharp or whatever. No, you will learn how to design an API and maybe you will learn how to design software to make them uh, user-friendly, consistent, uh, take care about every aspect like security, implementation constraints, so um, read this book and uh, tell me tell me what you think about it. I'm I really want feedback. Uh, I don't know if I, I, I will write another one yet, but uh, maybe in a few years. Uh, I just need some holiday now. Uh, so this it's one, yeah, and and really another good book to learn things about design. And this book has really changed my my vision of software design. It's not a book about software. It's called The Design of Everyday Things by Don Norman. It's a book about design. And by the way, 
the design of web APIs was supposed to be called the design of everyday API. It was just a joke at the beginning and the publisher keeps, kept it. And I was really worried about that because I, I, I felt like I was borrowing the fame of the Norman. Hopefully my book title has been changed. So really, if you are interested in design and design of everything, uh, read the design of everyday things by Don Norman. Uh, it was published in the 80s or 90s. And I, I discovered this book thanks to, uh, Mike Amundsen, who told about it, uh, in a conference a long time ago. Uh, and that's it. Nice. And where, um, where, where, where can people like follow you online in case they want to like get more information, um, up to date and, as it comes from you. Uh, okay, they can follow me on Twitter with my Twitter handle API Handyman, and they can also go to my website, apihandyman.io. Uh, I'm working on a brand new version, uh, so I did not write much post lately. Um, it will come in, in the next week. Uh, and they can also go to apistylebook.com which will be uh, also rebranded in a few weeks. Uh, it's a collection of API design guidelines. And uh, if people are interested in other stuff, they can follow my other Twitter account, which is arno.t.loreto uh, on Twitter. And I talk about things like <laughs> guitar, animation, books, and That's books, awesome. maybe political programs that will arise in France, uh, thanks to all this mess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's going to be an interesting time for politicians everywhere for the next yeah. ever. Um, <laughs> that's wonderful. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, I'm glad we finally got to talk to you, and it's been really interesting having this chat. So cheers. Okay. Thank you very much for having me, and I'm looking forward to see you again uh, somewhere in the world. Goodbye.